chapters that we're reading um, this morning are from Nehemiah. Um, you'll find them on page 489 in the Pew Bible. We begin at chapter 4, verse 15, and then we will go to chapter 6 and start at the beginning of that chapter. And I apologize to Peter and any other theologians that we have in the congregation, because some of the names in this reading are really hard. <laughs> When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding their spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapons, even when we went for water. So continuing to read at the beginning of chapter 6. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while, while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported amongst the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of 
um, De- Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was, shut up, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because some people are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should someone like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but, the, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O God, because of what they have done. Also remember the prophet Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this among the surrounding nations, they were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah and son of Arar. And his son, Jehoanan, had married the daughter of Meshalem and son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was trustworthy and feared God more than most people do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Nehemiah, the fight continues. Well, I thought as it's uh, summer holidays, I'd start with an uplifting, encouraging, positive question. And my question is this. Do we believe in the devil? And the reason I ask it, because what we're looking at this morning is predicated on our understanding that we have an opponent who is trying to undermine the work of God. There's an enemy at work who wants to undermine God's plans. The Bible and Jesus refer to him as Satan, the devil, the prince of this world. And unless we have got a grasp and understand that there is a malign and evil, intelligent opponent to God's work, we won't take seriously the nature of the battle and the opposition we face. Now, Nehemiah experienced lots of opposition, and I want us this morning to do what I think God intends us to do as we look at Nehemiah, and that is use Nehemiah's experience as a metaphor for our experience of opposition to the work of God in our lives and in our church. On one level, we can look at Nehemiah and we can just see that there are opponents trying to stop him building a wall, a sort of stop the wall campaign, if you like. But underneath, there is a different narrative, and that is God's opponent 
is trying to stop God's work getting done. It wasn't personal against Nehemiah, but Nehemiah was the person who God had taken to lead his purpose and his work. Now, Belinda and I have been away for the last week, and I've seen no television whatsoever. The Olympics have totally passed me by until last night when we turned it on and there was the men's tennis semi-final between Del Potro and Nadal, and I turned it on and it was the beginning of the third set. Good match. But one thing I noticed was every time Del Potro got up to serve, there was hissing and booing and jeering in the crowd. It really wasn't Wimbledon. Now, from what I know of Del Potro, he's one of the great sportsmen of our age. He's an absolute gentleman. So I'm sure that the hissing and booing wasn't against him personally, but it's because he was an Argentinian and the crowd were Brazilian. I don't need to say any more, do I? But he represented what they wanted to attack. So he embodied and really took it last night, although he won the match. hope I didn't spoil that for anybody. Um, he, he took it personally on behalf of his fellow countrymen. And Nehemiah was taking it on behalf of God's work. Lots of things were being thrown at him. And there's a summary which Joe kindly sort of printed out, which is uh, on the overhead as well, which are all the different things that Nehemiah had to face and how, what the in, intended attack was for and how he counteracted that. So he was subject to ridicule. He was subject to violence, to scheming, to blackmail, trickery, subversion. There's enough there to write a John le Carré novel, isn't there? But the aim was to stop God pursuing his intended purpose of establishing Jerusalem as a safe place for worship. So it wasn't personal to Nehemiah, it was an attack on the work of God. Now we could spend weeks studying all this stuff, but I just want to pick out a few highlights about the opposition and how Nehemiah dealt with these attacks. And I want to look at four things. And the first thing that he did was he had discernment. By discernment, I meant he could see what was really going on. Discernment is actually a spiritual gift. Discernment is a gift given so that we can gain a spiritual perspective on what is going on. Think for a moment of the book of Acts and the Apostle Peter. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, having sold a field, come and bring some of the money that they got for selling the field to bring it as an offering. And the act of discernment, the gift of discernment, is that Peter is able to understand that what they're trying to do is a deception. And he challenges them about that. Discernment sees what's going on under the surface. And Nehemiah was given the gift of discernment. So he could see the opposition. He could see what was happening. And he could see it for more than just the face value of what was happening. And because he had discernment, the second thing he did was he was able to pray specifically. You're probably a bit like me, and when you pray, you pray in generalities. Well, Nehemiah prayed specifically because he could see the situation, and therefore he could address it. In chapter 6 and verse 9, Nehemiah says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. It will not be completed. But I prayed, strengthen my hands. He saw what the issue was, 
and he prayed specifically into that issue. He saw their motive was to frighten, was to basically stop the work going on. And so he prayed specifically, Lord, strengthen our hands, keep the work going on. So he discerned what was going on, he prayed specifically, and the third thing is he kept his vision clear as to what he was supposed to be doing. His task wasn't to enter into a fight with Sanballat. His task was to rebuild the wall. Now, he wasn't distracted from his main task. He was single-minded. And it's easy to think that winning the battle against Sanballat was the victory, was the purpose of what was going on. But that was a sideshow. He wasn't distracted from the work of God in building the wall. He discerned, he prayed specifically, he was able then to keep his vision on what was going on, and fourthly, he provided the resources and the organisation to get the job done. He didn't sit back and wait for it to happen, he got on with it. He put the plans in place, and he made sure the resources were there to do the job. So if we come from the 4th century BC right now up to date, 2016, here in Downend, what has this got as relevance for us today? Nehemiah had a purpose. The purpose was building the wall. What is the equivalent for us today? What's God's purpose for us? What's he asked us to do that we are to be getting on with? We are to have a personal and a collective vision of what God is calling us to do. If Nehemiah turned up in Jerusalem and did nothing, there'd have been no opposition and nothing would have got done. He was there because he was called, and we are called. So what does God call us to do? Well, I hope if you've been a regular attender over the years, something of what we're called to do has infiltrated uh, into your soul and your purpose. Because the first thing God calls us to do is to receive life, life in all its fullness. He wants us to be fully alive in him, that we are wired into him, that we are able to understand his purposes. And having understood those purposes, one of the first purposes is for us to become disciples ourselves who make other disciples. That's God's purpose for us. And where God places us to be fruitful on our front lines, to be doing the work of God where he places us. Those are the things that he's called us to do. So just as Nehemiah had a purpose, so we've been given a purpose, individually and corporately together. And like Nehemiah, we will have opposition. We'll have opposition because we are then doing the work of God. So God's enemy will be attacking God's work and will therefore attack us. So what will that battle look like if we get attacked? How will we know? What will it feel like? Well, if we keep up the sort of military analogy of Nehemiah, I think there are probably three things that you'll find are common attacks on the people of God. First is the enemy wants to distract the troops from doing the work. The second is he'd like to create turmoil or civil war amongst those who are working together. And the third is he wants to undermine the leaders, just as Sambalat was trying to undermine Nehemiah. So distracting the troops, who are the troops? Well, that's you and me. We are the troops. We are God's stormtroopers, if you like, in this, this situation. And anything which takes us away from being disciple-makers is a victory for the opposition. So if we are ourselves 
paralysed by things, perhaps paralysed by anxiety. Some of us have difficult things to cope with in life which necessarily make us anxious. But if we become inward-looking and anxious about our circumstances, about our health, about our relationships, if we become self-obsessed, then our vision is for us and not outward for the work of God. And so even without a fight, the enemy has started to win. He stifled the work of God in our lives. Secondly, he wants to create disputes amongst us. I don't know if you, any of you have ever been in any church anywhere where there have been disagreements. I have. That isn't the work of God. That's the work of an opponent. If you have a look at the Labour Party right now, I'm not really into politics, but I can see there's internally signed civil war going on there. That's what the enemy of God wants to do with God's people who want to unite and get on with building God's kingdom. He'd like us to fight amongst each other. He'd like to pick out little things. He'd like to say we're reading the wrong version of the Bible or singing the wrong songs or saying the wrong liturgy or doing something, having sermons that are too long, too short, too something. He'd like us to argue. So our purpose as the people of God is to discern that that's what is likely to happen and to guard against it and pray specifically against it. So he wants us to make us introverted as individuals. He wants to make us at war with each other as the people of God. And the third thing, and the thing that primarily the opponents were trying to do with Nehemiah, was destabilize God's leadership. That's why it's vital, vital for us to pray for the leaders of our church, that God would protect them, protect them from temptation, protect them from diversions, that he would allow them to be effective in doing what he has called them to do. Because the easiest way to stifle any organization and the easiest way to... Uh, disenfranchise the church from doing its work is to make its leadership ineffective and those who've been in church leadership will know the attack of the evil one who's trying to undermine the work of God it's not personal but the leaders are the people who God has entrusted to deliver his purposes and they will be the ones primarily under attack so how do we deal with all this I don't know, I'm starting to quake in my boots. It's a bit frightening, isn't it? But the first thing we need to do is be alert. Slumbering Christians are a bit like security guards who are asleep. They're not doing their jobs. We need to be awake. Peter knows this better than anybody else. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? But you get the picture, don't you? Be awake. There's somebody prowling around to get you. Be awake, but be discerning. Understand the reality of what's going on in your life. Pray to God that you can see your life through his eyes, not just through your perhaps anxious eyes that looks just at yourself. So be discerning. And then pray knowledgeably, having understood the situation in your life and in our church. Nehemiah overcame the opposition. The wall was built. He had to put up with all that stuff, but he overcame. The wall was built. And the talk of battles and the talk of enemies can at first frighten us until we realize that greater is he who is for us than he who is against us. 
Despite everything, Nehemiah finished the job. But that wasn't the end of his problems. We haven't got time now to go into the later chapters of Nehemiah, but perhaps you'd like to have a look at chapter 13 and see, see some of the things that happened there. Tobiah, who we read about as one of the enemies, you'll find in chapter 13 is given rooms in the house of God later on. The enemy that was outside is now brought inside. Now, Nehemiah is away in Babylon, and when he comes back, he soon sorts that out. But, you know, the enemy comes within. And the Levites who were there, the wall's been built, the temple had been built, everything was ready to worship, but guess what? The tithes weren't coming in. So the Levites, instead of leading the worship of God, were out in the fields earning a living. So the worship of God wasn't going on. Constantly undermining little drip-by-drip things to undermine the work of God. Nehemiah had to be constantly vigilant, constantly discerning, constantly praying specifically, and constantly keeping his eye on the vision. So is there a battle going on in our lives? Well, actually, Jesus says, yes, there will be. If we're following him, there will be a battle. A little while back, a friend of mine said, said to me, oh, he, his son has got to play football on Sunday morning, so instead of coming to church, he's now got to take his son off to football. That happens everywhere, doesn't it? But do you know what? There's a battle going on there. Somebody wants a man of God not to go and worship on a Sunday with the people of God. We can see it as an arrangement for football, or we can see it as a spiritual undermining of God's purposes. So in our lives, what is going on that is undermining us? Maybe we're half asleep to it, maybe we're slumbering, but is there something that is undercutting us, which is stopping us fulfilling God's purpose in our lives? Well, we need that same prayer that Nehemiah had, a prayer of discernment, a prayer to understand clearly what is going on. What's the battle that's going on? You know, one of the most telling occasions that I read about in the gospel is the Garden of Gethsemane. And those disciples who on that night of all nights, when Jesus was about to be arrested, were asleep. And Jesus said to them, wake up and pray. And they were then asleep again. And to me, that's a picture of how we can sleepwalk without realizing quite what's going on around us spiritually. And we must pray for that level of discernment and then pray specifically into what we understand that God wants to do with us and through us and how that will be opposed. And when we've done that, we will know what Nehemiah knew. And that is, greater is he who is for us than he who is against us. I'm always so encouraged when I read Romans 8 and those words of Paul where he declares that we are more than conquerors. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have the victory. Let's have the eyes to grasp it and see it, and therefore be able to do what God has called us to do. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Nehemiah and we thank you that he was not diverted from the task you gave him to do. Lord, we quake at the opposition that he faced, but thank you that you gave him the spiritual gifts not only to discern, but to overcome that opposition, and that he was victorious, and that he gave praise and glory to your name as a result. And here, two and a half thousand years later, we are talking about his example. And Lord, may we too be those that are able to discern what is happening in our lives and in our church and in the purposes of God. Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see and give us insight to pray and give us the vision to keep our eyes on what you have called us to do, that like Nehemiah, we may accomplish the things that you give us to do, come what may. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.